You can keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1. If you close them, go ahead and open them back up again. And uh, we're going to spend our time there this morning. Before I get to Luke chapter 1, let me make one real simple announcement this morning. Uh, We have our annual business meeting, uh, which is really just a time where we take a moment to vote on a couple of items right after the worship service this morning. So if you're a member, uh, we ask you to stay after the service this morning so that we can vote on our budget and we have a couple of positions that need to be voted on as well. We'll give a little bit of time. We'll, we'll, we'll finish our service. We'll give time for everybody to go out, take a break, and then members make yourself uh, or make your way back in and it won't take long at all. I promise just a few minutes and you'll be on your way. So I'm not going to read the passage again. Terry just read it to you from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. But I want to begin by by drawing your attention to something I learned a long time ago when it comes to studying or interpreting your Bible. And what I want you to understand is that anytime you get to a passage of Scripture, anytime you're studying a passage of Scripture, say uh, a certain paragraph or a certain portion of Scripture, a certain thought, in Scripture, anytime you're in a passage of Scripture and you're studying it, studying through it, and you notice something appearing over and over again in that same thought, you need to pay special attention to it. It's something like we believe that the Holy Spirit wants us to perk our ears up on that very thing. And so when we look at this passage in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38, where Mary meets the angel Gabriel and the birth of Christ is announced to her, there's one thing that comes up over and over and over again. Three times in this passage, three times in these couple of paragraphs, in fact, three times within eight verses, we see the word virgin appear. And it's as if we can see right away that we're supposed to be paying attention to the virgin birth of Jesus. We have it twice in verse 27. If you're taking notes in your Bible or looking for it, it's twice in verse 27. And then Mary herself in verse 34 mentions that she's a virgin. She was a virgin when she became pregnant with Jesus. Mary had never known a man sexually. So Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I think, I'm pretty confident that all of you came here knowing that. I'm pretty sure that you did. So I don't think I'm giving you any new information. But what I want to do this morning is focus on this one thing, because this one thing is one of the essential truths of Christianity. In fact, without it, we lose Christianity. I hope I'll demonstrate to you this morning. It's one of the the non-negotiable things. The, The famous interviewer, Larry King, was once, once asked, how many of you used to watch Larry King? And some of you, a couple of you admit you watch CNN. So, bad joke. The, um, but Larry King was once asked when he was being interviewed, what would be his dream interview? And he said, of course, what I think a lot of people would say is if I could talk to one person from history, any person from history, Larry King said, I'd like to talk to Jesus. I'd like to interview Jesus. And he said, I'd like to ask him one question above any other question. And he said, the question I want to ask is, Jesus, were you truly virgin born? 
And Larry King said that question, the answer to that single question would define history for him. It's interesting because Larry King's not a Christian. But even Larry King understood or understands that the answer to whether or not Jesus is virgin born defines all of history. It's one of the most important questions there is. Greg Laurie, the pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship, said this. He said, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, then you can't dismiss what the Scriptures teach on this topic. I would even take it further, he says, and say, listen to what he says here, and say that if you don't believe that Jesus was supernaturally conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, then you can't really be a Christian. And I agree completely with Greg Laurie. I agree 100% that the, the virgin birth of Jesus is a vital doctrine of the Christian faith. Without the virgin birth of Jesus, every other doctrine of Christianity falls apart. It all comes crashing down like a, like a house of cards. So, so today, this, this last Sunday before Christmas, I want to talk to you about the virgin birth. I want to examine the virgin birth of Jesus and answer the question, why is the virgin birth so important to our faith as Christians? So let's get right to it. Are you ready? Why is the virgin birth so important to us as Christians? Here's the first thing. The first thing, and this is an important thing. Important, uh, it's always been important, but now so more than ever in the culture that we find ourselves in. And that's that the virgin birth confirms the truthfulness of God's word. The virgin birth of Jesus confirms the truthfulness of God's word. Do you realize that the, the very first way the devil attacked God's people was by attacking God's word. That's where the attack comes from. You know the, the story in Eden? Adam and Eve are placed in Eden. They're placed in the garden. They're given specific instructions. They're given everything except one thing. They're told not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then soon enough, we see that old crafty serpent come into the garden and he meets Eve and he says to Eve, first off, right off the bat, has God really said? And he calls into question God's word. Did God actually say you shall not eat any of any tree in the garden? And isn't he crafty? Not only does he question God's word, but he does it in a way where he just subtly twists it, just subtly takes it and makes it a little bit different. What did God say? Of all the trees you can eat except one. But the devil says, did he say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The trustworthiness, the truthfulness of God's word is called into question and some things never change. It's still, I believe, still the, the primary way that the devil attacks, the primary way that Satan attacks God's people is to attack God's word. I think we see it happening in our culture today, I think that it's the most consistent attack. We, we live in a culture now that, that widely rejects the Bible as any type of divine book. And they say that the Bible, you know, this, this Bible that we hold so dear to us, this Bible that men have bled and died for so that we could have it and read it and know it, this Bible, many people in our culture and in our universities and even in many of our seminaries would say that this is just a book written by men, myths and legends with some truth mixed in, but nothing divine about it. 
So in a culture where the Word of God is rejected, we have entire denominations, brothers and sisters, entire denominations that have rejected the truthfulness of God's Word and have adopted the culture's perspective on the Bible. Some of those denominations, some of you probably grew up in, and they've departed completely from God's Word. And there's no doubt in my mind that the greatest cultural issue of our day is the advance of the homosexual agenda. And I don't, I don't believe that the Bible is ambiguous at all on this. I believe that God's Word is clear, that the only acceptable relationship, sexual union between two people, is between a man and a woman who are married. That's the only acceptable sexual union in God's Word. And any other sexual union between two people that doesn't meet that criteria is said to be an abomination. It's in the Scriptures. It's clear as it can be. And yes, it's in the New Testament as well. But we have an army now of Bible commentators who are doing backflips to try to demonstrate that, oh, it might seem like it says that, but did God actually say that? Sound familiar? It's the same old attack. So the truthfulness of God's Word is, is under attack from every direction, but the virgin birth really helps us confirm the truthfulness of God's Word. Now, now it would be one thing if, if we we're only told of the virgin birth in the New Testament. But the reason we tie this to the truthfulness of God's Word is because it's not the first time we heard it. We didn't hear it for the first time in Matthew or Luke. We heard it a long time before that. And you might be surprised to know that the place we heard it was in the same garden where that serpent tempted Adam and Eve to eat that fruit. And it's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first mention of the coming Savior, where God pronouncing judgment on the serpent says, and I will make enemies of you and the woman. How many of you have heard this verse before, haven't you? You may not realize that there's a a, a hint at the virgin birth here. Because it says, And I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. Except that that's not what it really says literally. Literally, the word says, I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your seed and her seed. And the interesting thing is, you say, well, where's the virgin birth in that? Well, the interesting thing is, and the thing that perplexed Hebrew scholars for millennia was that whenever we talk about a child being born, we talk about his seed. It's always the seed of the man that produces the child. It's always his seed. But in this instance, he says that he's going to make enemies of you and the woman and between the offspring of the devil and the seed of the woman. Now, how in the world is that possible? Well, they were perplexed about that. But later on, this would become more clear. The prophet Isaiah unfolded this for us when he talked to Ahaz, the king of Judah, and told them that if he would put his trust in God, that, that God would supernaturally save him. Of course, Ahaz didn't want to do that. But, but God there went on to say to him in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore, through Isaiah, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is the sign that God will save His people. He says, The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call His name 
Emmanuel. We know what that means. That means God with us. So the sign that God would rescue his people is that a virgin would give birth to a child. God made this promise in his word. He made it in the garden and then he made it through Isaiah. And the the mention of it in Isaiah was roughly 700 years before Jesus would arrive on the scene. 700 years before he arrived, we have God speaking about the truth that he would come by way of the virgin's womb. Confirmation of his own word. God's word is always true. God's word is always fulfilled. God's promises always come to pass. And so right away, I just want to draw you to the, uh, draw, draw to your attention the truthfulness of God's word. He had promised this centuries before Jesus arrived. He promised it centuries before Gabriel spoke to Mary. So God's word is true. And the virgin birth helps us to know that, helps us to confirm the truthfulness of God's word. It also, the second thing I want to draw your attention to, the reason the virgin birth is so important is that it gives us confidence The virgin birth gives us confidence about the power of God in our lives. How many of you this morning have ever faced what seemed to be an impossible circumstance? How many? Come on. I'm going to make sure you're still with me. How how many of you have ever faced something in your life? I'm not doing anything special this morning. I'm just thirsty again. But you faced something in your life that seemed like there was no way around. There was no way through it. There was no way over it. There was no way under it. It was an impossible circumstance. I know I faced a lot of things that seemed impossible. And the virgin birth helps us to see past the impossible. Mary herself, obviously, and you've heard this a thousand times if you've been in church for any amount of time, that, that Mary herself was facing an impossible circumstance. Look at verse 30. It says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What an announcement. But Mary recognizes right away that something's wrong. Right? And she, she does some calculating in her head. And she thinks to herself, something's not right here. How could I possibly have a child? She recognizes the problem immediately. You can't have a baby without a man involved. You can't have a a child. She, She was a virgin. She knew it. And in verse 34, she says to the angel, how can this be? How can this be since I am a virgin? She knows that from a human perspective, from the way that she sees things, the way that she sees her life, the way that she sees the world, from her perspective, this is impossible. And she's right. You get it? She's not wrong. She, she can't have a child if she's a virgin. Then in verse 35, the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High 
will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And then in verse 37, those wonderful words that we all cherish in our life, for nothing will be impossible with God. You're right, Mary, it's impossible for you, but nothing is impossible for God. And I want you to hear that in your own life today. If you're facing something in your life and you're looking at it and you're saying to your spouse and to your friends and to your coworkers or to whomever, you're saying, it's impossible. I don't know how I'll ever do this. I don't know how I'll ever get through this. It's impossible. You know, you might be right. With you, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Well, that's such good news, isn't it? You know, I, I, I've told this before. This is a good thing about having so many new people in the church. I can tell stories I've told y'all before. But I, I, I want to tell y'all seriously, one of the moments in my life, because there's not a lot of moments in my life. There's been a lot of moments in my life where I thought something was impossible. There's not a lot of moments in my life where somebody told me it's impossible. But when Denise and I decided uh, to, to go to seminary, to pick up our life, to literally... This is what we did. We decided to just quit our jobs, rent a U-Haul, and go. We didn't have a place to live. We didn't even have jobs. Isn't that crazy? And uh, I, I think maybe it was because we were so young that I don't know. It wasn't an extraordinary act of faith, I don't think. I think it was because we were stupid. <laughs> so we didn't, because I think that God honors planning. And, uh, and so we, we, but we did this and, and God bless my mom. If she's watching, I know she watches sometimes live stream. Um, sorry, mom, got to say it. Mom told me when I called to tell my parents what I was doing, mom said, Brian, I know that you want to go to seminary and that's wonderful. And I, dad and I are so happy for you, but honey, it's going to be impossible for you to go. But with God, all things are possible. I mean, if I, I could spend the rest of my time telling you what God did, and the doors He opened, and the things that He did that made it possible with God, anything in your life, whatever you're facing, place your faith in God. With God, all things are possible. You can truly trust that. You, you, you're not facing an impossible circumstance if God is in it. The same way Mary wasn't facing an impossible circumstance. I want to say also, while I'm here, before I move on to my next point, which is the most important point of the day. I, I want to say to you, you don't have to stumble over the virgin birth, right? A, a lot of people, in fact, I, I looked this week, it's not in my sermon notes, so I'll get the numbers wrong, but I think back in 2007, Barna did a research or, or, or a survey about the virgin birth, the Barna group, and found that about 90% of people... Uh, professing Christians believes all of the details of the nativity, including the virgin birth. And then the Pew Research Study did, uh, or Pew Research Group did another study in 2014 and found that that number had dropped from 90% down to about 75%. And then more recently, Barna did another study on this and had found that the number had dropped from 75% down to about 68%. And if you start dividing that into different groups and subcategories, you would find that, that the younger you are, the more unlikely you are to believe 
in these details, including the virgin birth. In fact, millennials, only about 52% of millennials believe that the virgin birth was possible. That's interesting. And you know what a lot of people say is they'll say, well, I could believe a lot of things. I could believe all sorts of things in the Bible, but come on, really? A virgin giving birth? And listen, I just want to encourage you, especially young people today. I want to encourage you as you look at your Bible that it's not hard to believe anything in the Bible if you can believe Genesis 1-1. And I really mean that. Like If you can just believe, and if you can say, and I believe the evidence for this is overwhelming, by the way. I, I, if you can say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth then wouldn't it be easy enough? I mean, if, if God can hang millions of stars in the sky and, and God can, can speak planets into being and, and He can speak continents into being, they rise up out of the water and He can create us in His own image and He can do all those things just with the power of His voice. It's not so hard to think that He could place a baby in the womb of a virgin. So you don't have to stumble over this. Just if you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, and I think that's the only reasonable uh, belief, in spite of what our culture tells us, there's an old saying, ex nihilo, nihil fit, out of nothing, nothing comes. You ever heard somebody say, well, given an extraordinary amount of time, an endless amount of time, this could have happened, statistically speaking. Well, that's nonsense. Because if there's nothing, nothing will ever come of it. There had to be something, an uncaused something that caused it all. Never, I'm, I, I digress. But you, you, don't have to get, you don't have to stumble over the virgin birth. And that's leading exactly into my next point. You don't have to stumble over this. God can do whatever God wants to do. He's God. So why is the virgin birth so important to our faith as Christians? Here's the third thing. This is the most vital thing of all. The virgin birth gives us assurance that our salvation is possible. The virgin birth gives us assurance that our salvation is possible. A couple of years ago, excuse me, let me get a drink. I get all worked up about that creation stuff. A couple of years ago, a popular, very popular and influential megachurch pastor in Atlanta preached a Christmas sermon that went viral for all the wrong reasons. And he said this, this in his Christmas sermon. He said, if somebody can predict their own death and resurrection, I'm not that concerned about how they got into the world. Because the whole resurrection thing is so amazing. And then he went on to say this. Listen to this. He said, and in fact, you should know this, that Christianity doesn't hinge on the truth or even the stories surrounding the birth of Jesus. And he went on to say, it really hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Now, that sounds good. 
but it's wrong. I'm here to tell you today it's absolutely wrong. It, this pastor is wrong, and you go look it up later. You, you'll figure it out on your own. You don't have to ask me who it is. But Christianity does hinge on the truthfulness of the nativity. It does hinge on the truthfulness of the stories surrounding Jesus' birth. Christianity does hinge on the truthfulness of the virgin birth. This is the only way, if we start here, this is the only way we can be assured from the get-go that our salvation is possible. Before we ever get to Jesus standing next to John in the Jordan, before we get there, we have to deal with this. And without this, we can't get there. Let me show you why. Let me show you what I, what I mean. You see, the Bible teaches us that we inherit our sin nature from our fathers. This is the, the teaching of the Scriptures. that You and I inherit our sin nature from our fathers. Remember, I told you all this before, but on Father's Day, write a little note. Say, thanks for everything, Dad, except this thing, because that's where you get it from. Your, your sin nature comes from your father. Adam sinned in the garden. And when Adam sinned, all the children that were born of human seed from Adam onward, every single one of them inherited a sin nature. You're born with it. You, you don't become a sinner the first time you sin. The first time you sin, you're just proving that you're a sinner. You're born with it. Romans 5.12 says sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. So anybody who's born of human seed, the seed of a man, is a sinner. So if the virgin birth is not true, if it's not true, follow it, then what is true? Right. If the virgin birth is not true, then Jesus must have had, and Jesus is a historical figure, by the way, Again, don't, don't, don't let anybody ever tell you that he's just a myth or a legend. He's a historical figure. And this Jesus, if he was born of a man, inherited a sin nature from that man. And if he inherited a sin nature from that man, it's only a matter of time before he sinned. And if Jesus sinned at any time throughout his life, then he was disqualified to be the Savior. And if he was disqualified to be the Savior, then when he was crucified, another historical fact, by the way, it was just a sinner being crucified with other sinners. And when he was placed in the grave, he wouldn't have come out of the grave because there's no need to resurrect that dead sinner. He'll just die again like Lazarus. You know, I like to say to that man, by the way, I thought about that when he said the resurrection of Jesus is the most amazing thing of all. Say, He's not the first one. I mean, the resurrection of Jesus for us because of who Jesus is means amazing things about the fact that death is conquered and that he's our forerunner and that, that we will all likewise be resurrected, that he was the first fruits. But he wasn't the first person to come out of the grave, was he? There were other people, most notably Lazarus. And you know what happened to Lazarus? He went back in the grave. Because... He was a sinner. He didn't conquer death. Jesus called him out of the grave because he's God in the flesh. So if he was just another sinner on a cross, he's not our substitute. 
And if He's not our substitute, then you can't be saved. You get that? So these goofballs running around who are saying, the virgin birth's not a big deal. Don't, don't, don't go there. You're just going to make people stumble. What well, is a big deal? Thank God for the virgin birth. It's true. Verse 35. The angel answered, and don't miss this. Look back at verse 35. The angel answered Mary when she protested. The angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called what? Holy, the Son of God. Oh, we know what holy means, don't we? I mean, if we don't know by now, I've been talking so much about it. But what is the primary? Just Now, I know there's all sorts of, of, of streams flowing out of the main river, but what's the main thing that holy means? It means different. It means different. It means completely unlike anything else. So the child is called holy. The child is different. This child. I love, Dina, that you sang that song today, Gary, because when we say, what child is this? What child? This child is different. This child is the Son of God, different than any other child ever born of any woman because he's different because he didn't have an earthly father. He's different because he did not inherit a sin nature. He's different because he's the Son of God. And He was able to live a perfect life without sin. Jesus was a lamb without blemish who was sacrificed for our sins, placed in a grave where He lay for three days. And He's different than any other person because after three days He walked out of the grave having conquered sin, conquered death, leading captivity captive. He was victorious over the grave. He's different. And now He's ascended into heaven where He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us until He comes again for His people. This child is holy. There's never been another child like Him. No ordinary child. This was Emmanuel, the virgin-born Son of God. So why is it so important? It confirms, the virgin birth confirms the truthfulness of God's Word. The virgin birth gives us confidence about the power of God in our lives and the virgin birth gives us assurance that our salvation is possible. I hope this week as you move towards Christmas Day and the celebration of Christmas, I hope you'll take time to just think about that. The amazing truth surrounding this. I love what the old preacher Jerry Vines said about this. Let me close with this. He said, the birth of a child is a marvelous thing. Amen? It is, isn't it? The birth of a child is a marvelous thing, but not an unusual thing. But it's the teaching of the Bible that when Jesus was born, it was a unique thing. It was an event like which there has never been before and like which there has never been since because the Bible says when Jesus was born, He was virgin born. Listen to this. Jesus was the only baby 
who was ever born, who had an earthly mother, but no earthly father. He's the only baby ever born who was older than his mother and as old as his father. When Jesus was born, the infinite became an infant. The Creator became a child. The Ancient of Days became a baby in Bethlehem. I love what he says here. When Jesus was born, there was omnipotence sheathed in the muscles of that tiny baby. And there was omniscience strung in the optic nerves of that tiny baby. When Jesus was born, the God who thunders in the storm became a little baby crying in a manger. The virgin birth of our Lord Jesus 